Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. privilege of continuing in the book of Acts. We are now in chapter 8. Alex took us... Did I say Acts? Well, he wrote both of them, you know. He did. Luke Acts, you know. Um, So, but thank you. That means you're awake, at least for now. So, um, we are at the end of chapter 8. And um, I want to start with a a story. I am uh, what you would call a seasoned traveler. Um, Betsy has been on um, trips with me, and especially when I'm on trips with other people, when I'm in teams, I'm really on top of things, even so where I, I just freak people out because of my nature of control and stuff. Um, I haven't lost anybody yet. I have bailed someone out of jail. That's a whole other story. Um, but, uh, but I, I take great pride in that. And, and a friend of mine who was leading a team in South Africa, um, I said goodbye to him and to the rest of the team, and he, uh, he, he was off. And a couple of hours later, I get this phone call, and I'm like, why am I listening to you? You should be on a plane. He's like, I so messed up. I read the, the date wrong, and we missed our flight by an entire day. And I'm like, oh, this is a flight for 12 people, bro. What are you going to do? He says, I don't know. I said, well, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And he's like, I, th- I thought you might say that. I'm like, well, what else would you want me to say, you know? Um, and so anyway, as it, works, as, as it turned out, it worked out exceptionally well for them. They got back. But um, a week ago, I was in Mexico with my beloved bride. Um, and uh, I had everything organized, really well organized. They're sitting there. We landed at the airport. I pull out my phone with my confirmation number for the taxi. And you know the guys who come there and, and, and you're expecting to see your name, right? Have, uh, when that happens to me, don't you feel good? Like, yeah, that's me right here. Everyone, check, that's me. That's who they're waiting for. So I'm looking around thinking to myself, I don't see my name anywhere here. And then I see people coming off the plane, and they're getting on their taxis, and they're going. And I'm like, oh, dear. This is a, they've made a mistake. I can't believe this. Pull out my phone. I pull out my phone, and I, I dial the number, and I get through to the number of the resort. And they say, you know, sorry, sir, we have no record of your reservation. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I have a confirmation number here. Do you want me to read the confirmation number? You know, two, dos. Four, and that's where I lost it. Four, zero, whatever. I gave the confirmation. I'm, no, sorry, that we have no record of you. I said, so what do you want me to do? And then that's when the phone cut out. And that's where I about lost my mind. <laughs> so, so I pick up the phone again, and I, and, I, and I say, listen, I'm standing here at the airport. I've been here for 45 minutes. One of your guys is supposed to pick me up. There's no one here. We says, sir, we don't, like, not even, we don't have a taxi reservation for you. We don't have a reservation for you. You know, we, we, we don't know about, like, where you're going to stay. Are you sure you're staying with us? I'm like, yes, I'm sure I'm staying with you. How would I have this number? Well, we have some sister resorts, and maybe you're staying with them. And then the phone cuts out again. And then Karen just takes six or seven steps away from me. 
And she just stands in the heat there. Eventually, I call the guy back and he says, so, sir, we figured out what happened. Your reservation starts tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, that is impossible. I do not make mistakes like that. I said, well, if it starts tomorrow, what am I doing here? Can you imagine being on the other side of this phone call? If it starts tomorrow, what am I doing here? I gave you the flight information, Alaska 441. Yes, sir, that flight comes in every day. Oh, okay. Well, as it turns out, I was the one who was wrong. I had booked my tickets. Now listen, you have to understand, this doesn't happen to me often, okay? So this is a unique experience for me. So I say to the guy, okay, what do I do? He says, don't worry, sir, we'll come pick you up anyway. So they come pick me up, and, um, and I'm sitting in the car, and I said to Karen, babe, you've got to be ready. We are going to get totally fleeced because there's no reason for them to let us in the hotel. We have no reservation. It's one of these fancy hotels that I got on a massive deal that we ordinarily couldn't afford. So this one day is probably gonna cost us like what the whole week is. So just brace yourself, you know? And so we're sitting in this little taxi and, and I'm sure Karin is praying in tongues, you know? And, <laughs> and, so, and so we get there, we get there and I get to the front desk and um, I say, hi, I'm Mr. Salters. Oh, we've been waiting for you. And I was, I was expecting to hear, oh, you're the one that messed up your reservation. You know what I mean? You're the one that needs to grovel. And he says, um, we've, we've been expecting you. We've upgraded you. Um, and all you need to do is pay whatever rate you were paying, um, you know, for those days, for, for that one extra night. And I was like, oh my goodness, I was so overwhelmed. Number one, by the level of my pride, that I was like, not for one minute did I think this was my fault. Not for one minute. And it was entirely my fault. But the level of grace and mercy that I received in that sense, I was just sitting there thinking after we were in our amazing room, which we didn't deserve. Just the concept of grace and mercy, because I received grace from him in the sense that I didn't get what I deserved, and I received mercy in that I didn't get what I did deserve, uh, which was him saying, hey, we got you. Where else are you going to go? Yep. So pay up, you know. And I, a lot of you might be listening to that story. You might be thinking this, you know. Okay, cool story, bro. What, <laughs> you know, what does that have to do with anything? How many of you have heard stories like that where you're like, is this story going anywhere? There's way too much information here, way too little information. It's not connected to anything that we've been talking about. And now we get to kind of a, a season in the narrative of Luke where Jesus starts telling a lot of stories. Jesus tells these stories in the nature of, of parables. And in fact, it, it was kind of piqued by Alex when she preached, and she reminded us that Jesus' response to Simon the letter was the leper was actually in the store in the sto in the form of a story. At the end of the passage that Alex preached about last week, Jesus replied and said, "Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak." He said, and he didn't say to him, "Look, you are showing no grace. You are showing no mercy. You are showing no forgiveness." He does it in the form of a story. 
A certain lender had two debtors. He owed one enough money to pay 500 people for a day's of work. That's a lot of money. The other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both. Which of them will love more? So what is a parable? The Hebrew word for parable is mashal. It, it, It can mean to taunt, a riddle, an allegory, or a proverb. The Greek word means the throwing alongside. So it literally means para, alongside, wale, which is throwing, okay? Parables weren't new to the Jewish audience. Parables were used in the Old Testament often by Old Testament prophets. In fact, one of the best parables that we are aware of is when Nathan, the prophet, comes to David, and David has sinned because he has slept with Uriah's wife Bathsheba, um, and then he's also killed Uriah. So Nathan comes and tells David in the form of a parable, there was once this man who had all of these lambs, and he took this one lamb from this man who had one. Do you guys remember that? So these are not new. Over one-third of Jesus' teachings is done in parables. Now, parables use familiar subject matter. They use things that the people in first-century Israel would have been very familiar with. Seeds, leaven, weddings, debt. But there's also the unexpected element or surprise to a lot of the parables, where people don't expect them to end in the way that they ended. Or there's something quite shocking at the beginning, like the parable of the prodigal son, where he takes his inheritance from his father before his father's did. That would have been shocking to those audiences. So we're going to look at two parables. The one is the most famous parable, and that is in Luke 8, verse 4. And Jesus is speaking, and he said, When a great crowd was gathering, and people from town to town came to him, he said, in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it grew up, and it withered away, because it had no moisture. Some fell on thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell on good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those that have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. These have no roots. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and the fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hear the word of God, hold it fast, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Father, this morning we ask um, that we'll be able to receive your word implanted in us to be able to make us fruitful. So why use parables? I mean, if if you're wanting people to understand your message, why not be very, very clear about what it is that you're saying? In verse 9, the disciples asked him what the parable meant, and he said, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, Jesus is quoting, again, 
from the prophet Isaiah. And in, in that passage that, Isaiah, that he's quoting from, Isaiah says that there will be people that will see and not be able, that will see and not be able to understand and hear and not be able to understand. He is doing three things. One, he is revealing truth to those that are genuinely seeking, that are genuinely open, that are listening with open hearts, that are saying, I want to understand this message. He's also concealing. He's concealing the message to those that are full of pride and that are listening with very familiar ears or looking for something that will confirm what they understand about the kingdom. And this is not the kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating. And then thirdly and importantly, and this is what I really enjoy, he's provoking their imagination. What he's doing is he's using phrases like, the kingdom of heaven is like, or what do you think about this, or which one of these. So he's provoking a reaction in people. He's not just giving a monologue. He's actually saying, I'm going to tell you a story, and I want to know what you think about the story. I want to know what you understand about it and why that's important to you. So then how do we read and apply these things? I think, firstly, there's a sense in which during our normal study and devotions, uh, uh, the area of context is important. Uh, for us, I don't know how many of you actually live in a kind of day-to-day -day subsistence farming existence. No one here, right? Um, and so for many of you, there'll be things that are unfamiliar. Like remember when we started our sermon series on, um, on Luke, and we talked about a threshing tool? Now, we had to show you what a threshing tool was and, and explain what that was. So there's a sense in which a lot of these, um, these parables require the context of first century kind of agriculture to be able to make sense of. There's often a richness that we miss out on, and we do, if we don't understand the context, we can misapply it. What about how to interpret it? Now, this, this, this is important. When Jesus gives the interpretation of the parable, that's what the parable means, yes. <laughs> okay? So in this case, when Jesus says, and this is what the parable means, we don't need to actually go and think, well, what do you think, Nick, about what the parable means? No, Jesus has told us, this is what the parable means. The seed is the word of God, the soil is etc. However, there are many other parables that are more open to interpretation. Now, some of you have been to art galleries, you know, and, and you look at this and and what do the people say? Let it speak to you. What does it say to you? you know? And I'm like, I, I want to know what he was thinking. That's, what, what I want to know is not what I'm thinking when I'm looking at it. That's part of it. Part of it, the emotion that it, kind of, that it draws out of me. But I really, I really want to know what he or she was thinking when they wrote this piece of music or, when, or when, they, um, when they did this piece of art. And so that's one of the questions that we need to be asking in the context of interpretation is what, is, what, is, what do we think the author is trying to communicate in this? Because even though there is a sense in which we can use these parables, and we should in our times of devotion, to say, God, speak to me through this parable. What are you saying to me? Where am I in this parable? Like Jesus asked those questions. What do you think? Who did this? Ask ourselves these questions, but there are boundaries. It's not this kind of free-for-all, whatever it is you think it is. Understand this, that a parable can never mean now what it never meant then. Now this, this goes for general scriptural interpretation, but it can never mean now what it never meant then. 
And so that's why study, teaching, uh, being able to be in a community where the Word of God is taught is, is important. The other thing about parables is that you allow the Word of God to interpret the Word of God. And so you look for other places where these kinds of concepts are so that you're able to make sense of that parable. You with me? So, so one of the most important things about parables is what it reveals about Jesus, what it reveals about his kingdom, and therefore what it reveals about us as followers of Jesus in his kingdom. What is this revealing about Jesus, who he is? What is it revealing about the nature of his kingdom, how he operates as king? And therefore, what does he say? Those who have ears, let them hear. How am I to respond to this parable? And so we're going to be looking at a more obscure parable that has to do with plants and seeds. We're going to be looking at Luke 13, verses 6 to 9. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about expectations, right? So this owner has expectations. He's come and he's expecting fruit. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I've found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he, the vine dresser, answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. So now let's look at some of those um, helpful kind of boundaries when it comes to interpretation. What What is this about? We look at the context in which Luke is speaking, and we understand this, that in chapter 13, he is speaking, uh, Jesus is speaking about judgment. So we know that the broader macro context of this parable is a parable about judgment with regards to Israel, because they are not showing fruits of repentance and that there will be a time of judgment for Israel. Then we've got to ask ourselves the question, if that's the broader macro kind of idea, what does this parable reveal about Jesus, his kingdom, how it functions, and therefore how we as his followers are to function in this world? So I would say that there are two things that I want to draw out of this parable. And the one is that there is an expectation of fruitfulness for a follower of Jesus Christ. And number two, we are not in this alone. There's an expectation of fruitfulness and we're not in this alone. So now we look at this fig tree and it was in a vineyard. One of the questions you need to ask is, what is a fig tree doing in a vineyard? Now vineyards in those days were important agricultural places. Many of them had walls and they were guarded, they had vine dresses, and so a vineyard was a place where extraordinary care was taken of what was in a vineyard. We know this from the rest of the Bible that fig trees kind of popped up everywhere, right? Jesus and his disciples were on a road, there's a fig tree, you know, they were going down there and there's another fig tree. There's Nathaniel, he saw him under a fig tree. There seemed to be a lot of them, they seemed to be scattered all over the place. This fig tree, however, was in a vineyard, and it's important because it was in a place of fertility and protection. That's what vineyards represented. There were walls that showed you that this is a space that is set aside in order for this fruit of the vine to grow. Now, fig trees also had a very wide footprint. 
So what is he talking about? You know, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Is there like certain trees? How did they know this is using up more? Is it like high octane, low octane? Who knows, you know? But, but a fig tree has a very wide root base. And anyone that's seen a fig tree that, that is mature will know that it really spreads out. So there really is a sense for this owner that there is this fig tree that is actually spreading out and using a lot of the good soil of the vineyard, but is not producing fruit. The other thing I want to say is, is that this was probably not like a horrible, like I have a kind of fig tree in my backyard. It's got like one stalk like this and I've held it up by a tiki torch because otherwise it falls down and then it has one branch and like every morning I'm there saying, come on, you can do this. You can grow, you know. The, the reason why the owner had expectations, I believe, is not because this was like a bedraggled, no-leaf fig tree. It's because it looked healthy from the outside, but then when you come close to it to see what it is that the fig tree is designed to do, there is no fruit. First year, second year, third year. Now, he was not being unreasonable. It was very reasonable in those terms agriculturally to expect fruit from a fig tree in the third year. This is the reality. It is our nature to produce fruit. It is in our design. It is in our DNA. John 15 verse 8 says this. This is in the Common English Bible. My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit and in this way prove that you are my disciples. My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit and this way prove that you are my disciples. Francis Chan says this, is this idea of the non-fruit-bearing Christian something that we have concocted in order to make Christianity easier? Yes. So that we can follow our own course while still calling ourselves followers of Christ. Now remember what Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. Hearing is always associated with a response. From the time that John the Baptist was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, John the Baptist would say, unless a tree bears fruit, the ax is laid at the root of that tree. Jesus, throughout the context of the gospels, is saying this, is the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God producing fruit in and through your life. So how, how do I know this? How do I know whether fruit is being produced in my life? I think there's two areas of fruit production that we as followers of Christ can look at to actually examine whether we are being fruitful. And the one is in the area of formation, and the other one is in the area of mission. Now remember, we've spoken about this before. You cannot have effective spiritual formation looking like, acting more like Jesus, unless you are growing in your missional effectiveness. And missional effectiveness is serving the community that you're in, both with your actions of grace and also with proclamations of truth. So you can't be effectively missional unless your character is being formed by Jesus and you won't be able to be formed by Jesus fully unless you are active in mission. You got me on that? That's pretty simple, right? So the question I think that we need to ask is this. Am I becoming, in the context of formation, Am I becoming more like Jesus in the context of, for example, the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Man, I looked at that this week. 
it was quite a damning list. There's not a whole lot there about effectiveness. There's not a whole lot there about, you know, efficiency. There's not a whole lot there about how much you have accomplished. There's a sense in which the fruit of the Spirit is about the kind of person that you are becoming that isn't judged by you. Because this is the other bummer about this. You don't get to judge the amount of love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. What happens? It's the way other people experience you that will tell you whether you're growing in that grace. So for me, this week was, this week was difficult because I, I, I was saying, God, there are areas in my life in which I've grown in in the context of formation. One of the areas that I'm really still struggling with is the area of anger. Just to actually be able to say, God, I I would like to see some more fruit there. Now, I did not go around, you know, self-flagellating myself and hitting my head with the Bible. Anyway, those of you that have seen Monty Python will will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But there has to be a sense in which one of the things that we do is examine our inner life and actually say, God, is there a fruitfulness where I'm looking more like Jesus? The second area that we should look at is, am I being fruitful within the context of mission? And that can be a number of different things. As I engage, and we we talk about this with, with regards to the four pillars of Mercy Commons. So the one is, am I reveling in the mercy of God? And if I'm truly reveling in the mercy of God, it is changing who I am as a human being. Am I proclaiming and demonstrating and participating in acts of mercy for the common good? Now, this can be in so many different areas. This can be in the area of my vocation. This can be in the area of my family, of relationships, of service or ministry. This can be with regards to my finances, my sexuality. There are so many ways to both be formed by Jesus and also to be able to speak to others about the grace that you've received in those areas in your life. One of the things that I want to talk about with regards specifically with Mercy Commons is is the area of fruitfulness when it comes to the body engaging in the gifts of the Spirit. That's one of the things that, that I as a leader need to take you know, responsibility for in terms of creating more opportunity, in terms of teaching more and training more. But ultimately, the thing that I was asking God for with regards to fruitfulness in the context of mission is, God, I really want us to, to see us being used both in the context of being able to reach people outside of the church with things that are dramatic, like a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a prophetic word, a dream, some, some kind of prayer. While, while I was away, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was praying for this couple. Don't know why. Um, and God just showed me some things about their marriage. Now, I don't know if it's true yet, but those are the kinds of things that I'm saying, God, I, I want to I experience more of those things because I know that your spirit is active in me. And I know that as, as I desire to be formed more by Jesus, then the gifts of grace that God will give me through his Holy Spirit to be able to be effective are things that he wants to give me. So the question is, am I producing fruit in areas of formation and areas of mission? Secondly, we said we aren't alone in this. I love this. This is not up to us. I've used this, this analogy before. You know, you don't walk past a fruit tree and hear the fruit tree go, mm, I'm trying really hard 
to make fruit. Try harder, okay, you know. No, it's in its nature. It's part of its DNA. Even scripture, you know, John says to us, you cannot get figs from a thorn tree. That's not its nature. Your nature, because you've been transformed from darkness to light, your nature is to produce fruit. But John Bunyan says, God will not lightly or easily lose his people. He has provided well for us, blood to wash us in, a priest to pray for us that we may be made to persevere, and in case we foully fall, an advocate to plead our cause. 1 John 2 verse 1 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. What makes his advocacy so effective is this. He is God's way of dealing with our sins. And so we have this advocate, the vine dresser, come to the master and say, no, wait, wait. Don't cut it down yet. No, wait, I'm, I'm still busy. I'm still working here. I, I, I'm, there's still things that we can do to ensure that there is fruitfulness. Now the question is, how much time is enough time? For me, not a lot. Okay? That is one of my struggles. I'm a highly impatient person. And so not only for me, but in the lives of others. I'm like, we talked about this like a year ago. But one thing I have seen is that the kingdom of God is like lightning and leaven. And some people, something happens in a moment, their lives are transformed. They've met God and they've moved on from whatever that is. For other people, it takes years for something to be worked in or out. I think we should focus less on the time and more on the fact that we have the attention and affection of the vine dresser in that. Is that actually, for me, I'm like, God, how long? Actually, I felt like God saying, instead of saying how long, Maybe you can say, hey, good to see you. I'm at work. Let me do my thing. Your job is to respond to what I'm already doing. So one of the things he does is he digs. He says, you know what? Let me, let me dig around and, uh, and, and, and let, me, let me see if this can cause fruitfulness. I, I would suggest that, that digging is what Jesus does to reveal, there's a nice word, is like manure, but different. <laughs> to reveal that stuff in our lives that is affecting our fruitfulness, to reveal what is choking the seed, the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world so that fruit does not mature. And he's not just uprooting sin, which is important, because when, when Jesus uproots sin so that we can see it, we can go, ugh, that's gross. Like, I'm so grateful I had Corin with me because we were ruined my whole vacation. Well, it would have been dumb being there alone, but, you know. Um, but what she said to me in that moment, she said, you know what? Yeah, you, you never really do think you're wrong, but it's okay. Just let it go. Just enjoy the rest of the time. Yeah, she's very gracious. A lot of spiritual formation fruit there, you know. 
He's not just uprooting things that are actively destroying our, fruit, uh, our fruitfulness. He's also uprooting things that are exposing past damage and hurt. And so, so it isn't Jesus' role when he digs around the roots of our lives to point out it, and this is wrong, and that is wrong, and pay attention to that. He's also exposing areas of hurt and pain that he wants to bring healing to. For a lot of us, from family of origin, from a lot of us, hurt and pains that we've received from each other, the church. And he's showing us this so that we can say, Jesus, will you, will you help me with that? Every time there's a digging around, there is a sense of actually saying, okay, God, Jesus, thank you for exposing this. Now, in as much as I'm so grateful that you've exposed this, I need your help to be able to heal this or cut it out if it's a weed or do whatever. The other thing that digging around helps with is it helps the soil receive the water and the nutrients that the soil needs to receive. You know, that's why he spoke about previously about a well-worn path, right? If there's a well-worn path, what happens with the rain? It just sits on the path and then just rushes away. And so one of the other reasons why Jesus would dig around the roots of our lives is, is to give space for water and nutrients to penetrate the root system. Part of that is because the soil around our roots has been trampled by the lies of society and the enemy. And it's been trampled around. And I mean, for how many of you, when someone says something to you that is, that is truthful and kind, it's so much harder to believe than when someone says something to you that aligns with the way in which the world operates. It's because our soil needs to be dug out. There needs to be a sense in God exposing some of the areas that, that we're engaged in that are not helpful for fruitfulness, some of the areas of past hurt and pain that he wants to heal us from, and to dig that up so that the water and the nutrients can be received. What is he revealing in your life right now? Is he revealing sins, unhelpful habits, mindsets, or is he revealing past hurts or pain that make it incredibly difficult for you to trust which make it incredibly difficult for you to bear fruit. Lastly, what he does is he manures. He feeds. Now, this is not a consistent thing. Uh, how many of you have been around a field that's been manured? It's not fun, right? It's like Chino. So, you know, sorry, Kelly. Uh, it is. So this is not something you do every day. It's not a consistent thing. Water and sunlight are the consistent things. It means gathering together in community, um, being found in God's word, in prayer. Those are the consistent things that you need for fruitfulness. Well, then what are the kinds of things that we need that are not necessarily consistent? Because in unproductive or drought-filled times, we need more than just the ordinary. If you're unproductive or if it's a time of drought, it doesn't matter how much water, it doesn't matter how much sunlight, something needs to change, something needs to be different. If you're stuck in an area of unfruitfulness, I want to suggest that there are certain things that you should be looking at. And these are extraordinary. Maybe it's time for you to go on a silent retreat. Maybe it's time for you to meet with a spiritual director. Maybe it's time for you to fast. Maybe it's time for you to take an area of God's character and study that. My wife went through a dark period, and she took the attributes of God week by week and reminded herself who God is. Because the most important thing 
about us is what we believe about God. Maybe it's an area of study. Maybe it's taking a trip on a so-called missions trip. Maybe it's visiting a church. Maybe it is meditation. Maybe it's therapy with a Christ-honoring therapist. I want to say this about therapy, because John Marcoma said this, and I know you'll listen. Um, He said that he would recommend therapy the way that he would recommend religion. I don't recommend therapy, I recommend therapists. And so there is a sense in which that can be a helpful kind of manuring of your soul, because therapists do both. They dig up a lot of stuff, and hopefully they help manure so that you can receive that stuff. Does that make sense? What is God inviting you into in this season of your life that will feed and stimulate growth for fruitfulness? What is that? Maybe you've been thinking about this for a while. Man, that sounds interesting. That sounds intriguing. That sounds really too weird. You know? Maybe God's inviting you into something. Band, you can come up. Three questions that I'm hoping we kind of Remember through this parable, am I producing fruit in the area of formation and in the area of mission? What is Jesus revealing as he digs around the roots of my soul? And thirdly, what could God be inviting me into as a unique practice or discipline that could help manure what Jesus is doing. You know what gives us confidence to bear fruit? This isn't now go and try a whole lot harder. Why? Because this is the most important thing. It isn't the expectation of the return of the landowner that should make us feel, oh my goodness, he's coming back in a year. This had better work. It isn't that. It's the fact that we have the privilege to align ourselves with our original design and flourish the way that we were intended to flourish. We have been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. Our confidence is that our nature, if we have been transformed by the sacrifice of Jesus, that our nature has shifted. We are fruit trees. We are not thorn brambles. We have the capacity to bear fruit. It is in our nature. And more importantly, We have the vine dresser's eyes. Jesus' eyes are upon us. His hands are dirty in our lives. He's getting busy helping us. His voice has gone to the Father saying, wait, I'm at work here. What does this reveal about Jesus? He is merciful. He is patient. He's attentive and he's actively engaged in our transformation. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith, and as a result of having strong roots in love, I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width, length, height, and depth together with all the believers. I ask that you know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge, that you will be filled entirely with all the fullness of God. You were designed to bear fruit. You have been placed in a fertile, protective place by His self-giving love. He is actively working on each and
and every one of you, ensuring that you have everything you need to produce fruit. He started the process. He will finish the process, and He will do it to bring glory to His name. Amen. What an incredible opportunity we have this morning to respond to the Word of God. James talks about how we should not be like people who look in the mirror and then instantly forget what their face is like. That's the analogy he uses. And we have such a beautiful thing to respond to. Guys, we are the handiwork of our Savior. And we are being invited to the table that he has prepared for us. Uh, he built it with his slain body and his blood shed. And he encouraged us. He says, whenever you gather in my name, do this in remembrance of me. And so we've had a beautiful reminder this morning that God digs so that we can get the nutrients we need. We need whatever is blocking the stream of living water, the truth of God, the thing that refreshes our very soul. He's digging this morning. That's why he brought this word. Uh, I believe that wholeheartedly. If you're in this room, that word was for you. There is one degree of glory you are at now that God wants to change. He wants to help with our anger or our impatience or how we value our success, whatever it may be. And I want to repeat these questions to you. We're going to take communion on our own, but I want you to go before the one who created that table for you. Uh, Nick asked us to consider, you know, am I producing fruit in formation and mission? And guys, this isn't an opportunity. Sean mentioned this. Um, because of that table, we don't have judgment. Because we are invited here, we can come knowing that he's, he's here to help. He's here to dig, not to cut us down. So if that is a thought in your mind, reject it. This is where we find our help. What is Jesus revealing as he digs? And this sometimes is like the way I feel it. God says, you need to put that down. Or he says, that can come with you moving forward. I need to prune it. And sometimes he says, that thing, I'm going to breathe life on it. I'm going to make it better. This thing that you use in the kingdom, I'm going to strengthen this tool. It could be either of those. And then thirdly, what, what practice is Jesus inviting you into that can help you produce fruit? What is something where you have found life, you have found God speaking to you, encouraging you that you maybe haven't done in a while? And so guys, um, there is a table to my left with real wine. Kids, don't go to that one. We have another table back here, one in the back. Um, go ahead and grab communion, sit before the Father, and of course, we're gonna have a team of trusted leaders to my left and your right. If you need help seeing who you really are, they will clarify that for you. If you are expecting judgment, just go to them and tell them that. They will pray for you. So grab your communion. Go before the Father. The band is going to continue to play. There will be people uh, to pray for you. And do your business with the Lord. Jesus, thank you um, that when we participate at this table, we are reminded of who we are because of what you have done for us. Thank you, God, that you have redeemed us and rescued us and brought us into a life of fruitfulness and purpose. Thank you that you are close. Thank you that you are near. Thank you that you are attentive and patient. 
and that you tend gently to our souls. I want to pray for my friends this week. May they know the nearness of their Savior at work in the deep places of who they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, it's an absolute delight to be with you this morning. If you need prayer, there's still people here. We're not in a hurry. For the rest of you, we are going to just pop out to the back, hang with some of the kids that are coming, hang with each other. Um, We'd love to just carry on meeting you there. So thank you. Go and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.